There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison for the usual busy show. We'll look back at England train affected drawn ODI series against South Africa and hear from Captain Joss Butler. England batter Phil Salt discusses his chances of breaking into that top order on a full-time basis. And Sam Curran talks about replacing Ben Stokes in the ODI side. You'll hear exclusively from former Scotland international Kazim Sheikh after a report that Cricket Scotland was institutionally racist. And we have an exclusive interview with England batter Ollie Pope. We'll also discuss ways in which the new T20 league in South Africa will affect how cricket is played in the future around the world. And as well as that, uh, there's another injury setback for Mark Wood. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Harmy, before we continue, I have to say that um, I don't know exactly where you are, but I know you're on the road. You're in the middle of a road trip. You're not in your studio at home and we're uh, not being able to to do the show live as we often do. Um, And in fact, uh, we'll let the cat out of the bag. We're we're up early in the morning because you've got another busy day ahead of you. So set the scene for us. No, we were we've we're obviously on a on a road trip with Northumberland's under fourteens. So I'm I'm crouched in the corner while everybody's asleep. Um, we are early in the morning. Lancashire, we're with Lancashire and Cheshire. We're supposed to be at Alderley Edge today, Tuesday. Um, but with the rain that was in Manchester yesterday, that was called off. So at twelve o'clock yesterday afternoon, the parents got a message to say you're not playing there tomorrow. You're playing at Northwich. So it's about another forty minutes down the road. But the they were brilliant. The kids were brilliant yesterday. Northumberland under 14s, obviously, we're a minor county, small county, and they've got a decent side. And I think the Lancashire under 14s, they hadn't been beaten at the sort of the age age group cricket that these boys played at, um, all the way from under 10s, all the way through to, to 14s, I think, at, at home. And uh, Northumberland, little Northumberland managed to beat them. There was a, a comment 
Uh, a former colleague of mine, Nicky Phillips, who used to play with Sussex, his son Will batted brilliantly at the end. Northumberland got 100, and, I think 185, and little Will got 30 at the, at the end, batting at number nine to give us a chance. Um, and there was a few parents on the other side talking about little Northumberland and little Northumberland this and little Northumberland that. And um, North, little Northumberland beat them by about 25 runs. So young Ted, the leg spinner, got four wickets and, and Charlie, my son, got five wickets. But man, as he got five wickets, four of them were stumped. Four of them were stumped. I don't think anybody's had stumped Thomason four times. And, and the little wicketkeeper, yeah, he's a little smashing player, Robbie Bowman. He um, he took four stumping standing up all day. So little Northumberland did well against, against um, Lancashire and we're off to Cheshire to, this afternoon to play against them. So it'll be, I'm sure, a tougher test on a better wicket. But that's why the sound is a bit different. And that's why we're doing it so early in the morning, because obviously the kids are playing. And just uh, for listeners who don't know, please tell us what Charlie Harmison bowls. But he's a little seamer. He hasn't quite, body's not quite developed. He's a big lad. He's tall, but his knees and his elbows are drawn onto his body. There's not much uh, much in between. So, <laughs> look, it, it's they're in, the boy, these boys enjoy the cricket. Uh, I've had a great summer watching... You know, the, the future cricketers develop and there's, there's one or two around here. Yorkshire have got some two or three young lads who will play for, who will play for Yorkshire. And there's, you know, I know they beat Lancashire yesterday, but there's one or two of these Lancashire lads who will go on and play for Lancashire. Um, and Northumberland lads, you know, there's the sort of minor counties. There's one or two, two that'll get picked up. So kids develop in a different way. We've talked a lot to David Smith about grassroots cricket and how the, the game grows and, you encourage young kids to, to sort of try and be the best they possibly can, but their bodies will develop and they'll find a pathway. Batters develop a little bit quicker than bowlers from a younger age. Bowlers obviously fill out a lot a lot more as they get to sort of 14, 15, 16, and you see their developments change. But that comes with injuries as well. Um, but so far, so good. Charlie enjoys his cricket, loves the lads that he's playing with. And we've had a good run this summer and they played some good cricket and culminating with a fantastic win yesterday, which is great for little more family. Fantastic. Fantastic. And hopefully you haven't woken him up. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> needs all the sleep he can get. After yesterday. All right. The ODI series ends 1-1 after the final game at Headingley was abandoned due to the rain. Uh, there were some highlights, um, but uh, <laughs> all a bit of a damp squib in the end. It was, yeah. It's gone, it went from the ridiculously hot to the ridiculously wet. And I was there on Tuesday at Durham. And boy, that was hot. That was anything that Cape Town, Paul, you name it, they could throw at you from a heat point of view. I see Mark Boucher from the balcony and he was like, you know, thanks for, you know, you know it's like felt like home out in, in, in sunny Durham. And then my two kids got up, got up six o'clock on, on Thursday morning, got the train all the way to Manchester and then left the ground at four o'clock before a 4.45 start because it never looked like getting on. And it, it just it petered out, to be honest. But yeah, there were some good things happened for, for England. The way I look at this series, man, is it's just like it was the same as the one before. When Owen Morgan went and then the decision by Ben Stokes if I'm Josh Butler and the management team, I'm going, just get me through this series. Get me through the end of the at the end of the series. I understand why Ben Stokes retired. Now that's now this is done. While these te- the, the test matches are on, he sits down, Rob Key, Matthew Mott, and they get themselves in a darkened room and plan ahead for the World Cup coming up round the corner. Because I don't think you can take much notice of what's just happened in the 
in these in these ODIs against India and in South Africa. It was it was Owen Morgan's side, which obviously he he walked away from. Um, and I think there was a few players, one reeling from that new management, didn't really understand what was going on, possibly. And two, the likes of Besto and Root, Stokes, especially, coming down off the um, unbelievable high of test cricket, the way we've played over the course of the first sort of month of the six weeks of the international summer. That must have been difficult as well. And, you know, couple that with giving the players a chance to psychologically make excuses we got what we got which was a side which looked sort of dysfunctional didn't have all their best players on top of their game um, and England didn't play as well as they would like to but if I'm brutally honest I'm not that worried about England going into the World Cup I think they've still got a fantastic unit to go and you know challenge for the World Cup the only slight concern is obviously fitness of bowlers They've obviously got masses of credit in the bank. By the way, a few people contacted me after last week's show when I offered you a £5 bet on whether Ben Stokes would play ODI cricket for England again. Um, a few people asked me whether that meant that I thought he would. I would always, I only say this. Um, when Ben retired, I don't think he had a doubt in his mind. I don't think he thought for a moment that he would play ODI cricket again. But in six months' time, uh, Harmy, when... Um, when the Ben Stokes hole hasn't been filled and Rob Key gives him a call and says, look, it's the World Cup in a couple of months' time and we need you, your country needs you. So, yeah, I think it could, I think it could very well happen. Yeah, anyway. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think this is, I think this is the first of many. I think, we're, I think 50 over cricket's done. I think there's more chance of that being finished for your £5 bet than Ben Stokes coming back in two or three years' time. Because in two or three years' time, I know Future Tours programme says we've got a World Cup in XXX over the course of the next, or three World Cups over the course of the next 12 years. It wouldn't surprise me if them World Cups change to 2020 uh, 20, 20 over World Cups because 50 over cricket's gone. I tell you what, Harmy, I think what will happen is that uh, countries will take ODIs seriously in World Cup years. And I yeah. think they'll play B teams if ODIs continue. I think they'll use it as um, a trial ground really trial matches um and i think they'll take odis seriously in the build-up to world cups um anyway uh, joss butler admitted that a crazy schedule of 12 white ball games in the space of something like 18 days made it impossible to to be to maintain intensity it's not easy it should you know in in theory it sounds easy it's one all and you're, you're playing a series decider but there's no getting past the schedule does make that tough and you know it's also a, it's a frustration of mine we don't have any training days I think those training days are really important for um, that team cohesion the energy within a group those fielding drills the, the sort of camaraderie around the guys without the pressure of a game um, and they're really vital to high performance so um, when you miss that chance as well it is is a frustration and it, it is how it is and that's sort of this the way this month is is panned out but um now if we find those situations again we just have to um i think just find a way of even if you can't give 100 percent, can you give 90 percent of of 90 so um i think that's a, a bit of a learning that's josh butler the new captain um admitting that uh, you <laughs> can't have your a game all the time when you spend half the time traveling on a coach between buses. Uh, he's, is there a problem with Jason Roy's form? 
Hami. I mean, it's been a quite an extended Baron period now. Yeah, a little bit. I think he's again. He's just get the twenty thirty, and then he gets out. But Jason does that sometimes, and then he goes on a spell where he gets a bit like Owen Morgan. It's it's difficult at the top of the order when you're facing you know two brand new balls, and you you made your name from just going from ball one and belting everything for fours and sixes. The continuity of constantly playing and playing and playing, you would think that would help if you're batting well. Like Joss has said, 12, 12 games in 18, 20 days is good if you're batting well. If you're not batting well, boy, you're second out on yourself and it, it, it's very difficult. And I think Jason's on that on that sort of treadmill at this moment in time, but I've got no worries about Roy. He's a fantastic player and I think he'll... He, come, he comes good when you know the tournament's on. We've seen that during the, the 2019 World Cup, and I expect him to to do that. It, it, it'll be a big loss as well for Jason for Owen Morgan because I think Owen Morgan backed Jason like you'd not believe many many times. I think he was the one that really stuck by by Roy. If you remember, there was a lot of off field stuff that got rid of Alex Hills, but I think when Bestow came to the party and opened the baton. I think Morgan went, no, Roy's my man. Not interested in Hills. I'm not interested in that baggage. Roy's my man. And I think the belief that Roy got off the back of that was was huge as well. So different leadership, different ownership. I feel sorry for Joss, you know. Again, Manners, I feel sorry for him because he's been given this job basically a drop of a hat. When I don't think anybody's seen Owen Morgan retiring. I think we got an indication that his form wasn't great. He was then going to get through the rest of this summer and potentially make a decision. I don't think anybody's seen him retire as quickly as he did. And then the other one is, he's probably perfect now for the new Test Match team to come in. You know, can we just not, can we not remember he played 50 Test Matches and he's he's perfect for this team that comes in now. So I really feel sorry for Joss in that front. It's just the way, obviously, that your timeline of your career path works. But he's now got the responsibility and I'm sure him, Kesey and Matthew Mott will be sitting down now in a darkened room with a, a beer in hand and planning planning ahead to hopefully turn this team from an Owen Morgan potentially winning the, the Cricket World Cup team to a Joss Butler one. OK, let's um, hear from a couple more players. Phil Salt, funny we talk about the importance of role definition and consistency, but um, F- Phil Salt said um, after the series that he knows he probably has to be flexible and be able to fit in wherever he can and wherever he's needed. I'm very aware that the best players in the world can bat anywhere. Um, you know, you, you see that look around all the top domestic leads in international cricket. You know, the best players are the ones that can adapt and improvise and you know f- find different ways of getting the job done from all situations. You know, everybody who bats in my position around the country would have seen what they're doing and tried to emulate that and you know tried to keep pushing the boundaries and taking it further. It is the best opening partnership in in 50 over cricket there's no, there's no doubt about that look at the numbers and the way they play and the way they've changed how the game is played now you know there's a lot of people in international cricket that want to copy them and follow how they play um, so in my opinion they've set the bar for a good few years now um, but wherever my opportunity comes that's where it comes that's Phil Salt um, just suggesting that uh, flexibility is is going to be required for, from him and Sam Curran let's hear from him as, as well Harmy, because you said last week following Ben's retirement, that uh, Sam was your man. Sam Curran would be the man to fill Ben Stokes, the, the, the Ben Stokes hole. This is what he, what he said about it. I've always looked up to Stokes as a cricketer I want to try and almost copy. 
Um, he's obviously a huge loss, so the boys are obviously going to miss him. But um, Echo again, I've I've always tried to follow follow the way he trains, the way he plays. He's gone down as one of the obviously he's retired from one day cricket now, but he'll go down one of the greats for England. So yeah, just any time I guess I'm playing, like I said, I don't look too far ahead, but I just want to contribute with when I'm batting as a batsman and when I'm bowling as a bowler. So any time I'm playing, I just got to try and make sure. Um, I don't put too much pressure on myself and just kind of try and put performances in. That was Sam Curran, happy to take on the responsibility. He didn't say, I can be the new Ben Stokes, uh, but somebody else did, Harmy. He did, yeah. Uh, that was a very diplomatic, very reserved answer by young Samuel. David Willey fancies it. I think I think he asked a journalist if, um, who they thought would, would replace Ben Stokes. And when the journalist was, as usual, put under pressure, but, 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 he didn't know what to say. David Willey decided to say, me, I think I should replace Ben Stokes. And I love his confidence. I, I, I've got a lot of time for David Willey. I think, I think what happened with 2019 World Cup could have broken a lot of people, would never have come back. I think if anybody asked in sort of reality that, would you see David Willey again after 2019? I would say 95% of people would say no. But it just shows you the determination and the drive and just the single-mindedness this young man's got and belief in he's got and his own ability to to want to be the best he possibly can do. Goes around the world playing in these tournaments. And to be fair, I think he's done himself the work, the power of good in these ODIs, along with Reese Topley. Reese Topley cemented his place as the, as the premier left armour, sorry. But I think when it comes to the all-rounding slot, having the likes of Mo and Ali, Sam Curran, David Willey, at sort of seven, eight and nine, could be the way that England replaced Ben Stokes. An out-and-out batsman at the top, i.e. a Harry Brook or a Phil Salt at number sort of four or five. And then you play your all-rounders in the middle of, in the middle section. And David Willey's done himself the world of good because I think he's performed very, very well. As has Sam, as has Reese Topley. And when you look at the bowlers that are injured, don't look like Mark Wood's coming back anytime soon. Don't look like Joffre Arch is coming back anytime soon. Ollie Stone is signed for Nottingham, which I'm intrigued by that signing because the medical team at Nottingham must be a lot better than the medical team at, uh, at Warwickshire because he's not been on a park for a couple of years. Chris Jordan, not a 50 over, classed as. So David Willey's put himself in the shop window as well because he doesn't go away. He keeps performing. And whenever people write him off a little bit like Johnny Bairstow, he performs. So if David Willey feels as though he's confident to be in the next Ben Stokes, Good for him. Okay, and a reminder that uh, that T20 series against South Africa gets underway on Wednesday in Bristol. Um, Next day, 24 hours later, off again in Cardiff on Thursday, and it finishes um, at the Aegeus Bowl on Sunday. Uh, Now then, an independent review finding Cricket Scotland to be institutionally racist revealed that those who raised issues um, were sidelined or ignored. There were 448 examples of racial discrimination found during the investigation, which came after complaints from former players Majid Haq and Kasim Sheikh. Sheikh joined Danny Kelly, Sean Custis and Miguel Delaney on the press box on TalkSport to reflect on another dark day in the sport. I feel relieved. You know, we spoke out myself and Majid sort of just over six months ago um, about this issue. The review was carried out thoroughly. Uh, and yeah, it's a bittersweet moment. I just hope it leads to a bright future for the current generation and, and future generations. You know, I, I said today on 
on live press that my day is gone. I'm not going to come back onto a cricket field to play for Scotland tomorrow. So, you know, that wasn't my driving force behind this. My driving force is that um, I see all people from all backgrounds given equal opportunities in the game of cricket. Yeah, and I'm, I am one of those, I'll be honest, Kalsim, who when when these things start to bubble up, I, I, I say, well, let's get an inquiry going, but make sure that it's independent and make sure that it's done quickly because justice deferred is justice delayed. But there's no, there's no, there's no ifs or buts at all about this report, is it? It could not be more damning if it tried. Yeah, I mean, I, I was sceptical um, at the start. Um, there's a lot of things that get brushed under the carpet. Um, and I, I didn't know who planned for sport where, but, I, you know, I cannot fault their work. I, I knew what uh, issues were there, um, as did Majid. But, you know, they, they conducted a thorough investigation. They showed the victims compassion um, and they, they spoke to everybody. Um, associated with Scottish cricket before making the findings, and as you say, yeah, there was no, there wasn't much light in that report. It was pretty dark. You must have seen, and I think you know him now. You must have seen what Azim Rafiq was put through at Yorkshire. It, did it take a great deal of personal courage to say, right, I'm going to see this thing through? Because it would have been, I guess, easier to, to, to just let sleeping dogs lie. But with, having seen what happened to Azim. Why did you decide to, 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 to put yourself through this? Azim has become a very close friend of mine. Um, I didn't know him that well personally before uh, he spoke out. Um, I got in touch with him probably a day or so after he, he spoke out. And I've, I've grown a friendship um, with him over the course of the, the last couple of years. And his actual, well, everything that he went through, I, I felt... I had to see everything through because of what he went through. He was a he's a hero to many, a role model to many, and the courage he showed um, and continues to show uh, is quite is quite remarkable. So he was a driving force, but he was a driving force, and he's the reason we're even having this conversation in Scotland. Um, I don't think the conversation would have even come up if it wasn't for uh, Azim Rafiq. We'd raised issues before in the past, and we were just ignored and cast into the wilderness. So. I commend and I thank Azim Rafiq. You, you know, he's 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 changed things um, for I hope for future generations, not just at Yorkshire cricket, across England. I hope, um, and as far as Scotland as well. You did the press conference with, Mar- with Majid Hack, who has over a hundred caps for Scotland. Is still statistically the best bowler the country has ever had. You yourself were not so lucky, I guess it's fair to say, uh, despite being, I think, the only. Um, British-born Pakistani to make a, a hundred in Pakistan um, top-flight cricket, elite cricket. Um, you 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 didn't get a hundred caps. Tell me about what, how how you think that the the racism that we now know is there and has been described as institutional. How it's how it actually affected your career, Kasim. Well, as well as as well as that, um, I scored two other first-class hundreds for Scotland as well against Ireland um, and Kenya and Kenya mm-hmm. in the space of twenty-seven games. It's something that. I, don't, I think if you check back and looked at deep into it, I don't think there would be many after 27 games that had done that in Scotland or maybe even across their career. Um, and I was 25 years old at the time. Um, so it, it, it was just opportunity. You know, I was in and out the team. I, I, I'll never forget playing against Ireland and I scored 100 against them in a four-day game and the one-day game was starting the day after. And I wasn't selected for the one-day game and, and ex-test cricketer, Phil Simmons was the coach of Ireland. Uh, he actually had a pop 
uh, my leadership of my uh, my team as we were walking out when he realised that I wasn't playing and and I remember him saying man makes hundred and doesn't get a game and it just these were moments that were were regular. I went to South Africa as part of the World Cup qualifiers, something that I would work really hard to get selected for, and I carried drinks for practically the whole tour. And I was made to feel like more like a slave. Like a, I felt like I was a tokenistic gesture out there. I went to the 2017-20 World Cup, told if we perform in the warm-up games, we'll get to play. Um, in the main games, I performed um, in the warm-up against Zimbabwe, and I was, and the game was against Pakistan in South Africa, first game of the World Cup. And I, I was so hopeful. Many people in the squad were telling me I was going to play, only to be told I wasn't going to play. And that's not just happened to me. That's happened to, if you go back through all the World Cups that Scotland have taken part in, there will be a story of a South Asian player in that World Cup that is a sad story. Um, so this is not this is beyond me as well, but that's just a couple of examples of kind of the unfair treatment. And I look at white counterparts now who have gone on to play 100 times, and I don't think some of them have even got two, one or two hundreds in their, in their 100 games. I know that the, uh, the the reason you got involved with this is far wider than this, but uh, let me ask you, Kasim, because you know I, I I I could never dream of playing cricket at any level, or certainly not for my country as you did for Scotland. Um, how much do you how much do you mourn the fact that you think that that your career was cut short at international level because of the racism we're talking about? Look, I played for my country from the age of 12 years old. Um, I dedicated myself. I signed at the age of 17 years old to go down to London as an MCC and cricketer at Lords. So to, for my career to get to 25 and never play for my international team again, I'll probably never leave me. It'll probably be a matter of unfinished business. Um, some could call it a sad story. Uh, and, and, and I'll live with that knowing that a little boy or a little girl out there right now who are coming to come through the pathways and, and maybe wouldn't have got that equal opportunity. I hope we'll get that equal opportunity and they will thrive and they will shine. And that's enough for me. You know, that, that will give me some, some closure that I made a change. I know this is about you. If I might just throw in something myself here. Of course, we've heard about how it's affected you um, and Marjid Hack and I dare say other elite players in Scottish cricket. But to me, the issue, it seems is more about young people and their dreams. If sport is about anything, it has to be about, you know, of course there's the, the top professionals, but it has to be about young people as well. And nobody can guarantee um, equality of outcome, you know, talent, all the rest of it comes into it. But surely for every young person in Scotland, boy, girl, regardless of their skin colour, their beliefs, all the rest of it, if they don't have equality of opportunity, then what is the point almost of, of, of sports and particularly of a public funded sport. Look, I know of um, many people who have left the game well before their time should have been simply because they had already realised that they were going, you know, they weren't, get, they weren't going anywhere. The opportunities weren't going to be there for them. And I know of many parents who have turned their kids away from, from taking part in playing, playing cricket, which is really sad, especially when you're talking about the South Asian community because let's be honest, it's in the blood. Um, you've got, you know, it's, it's a good chance if you go to visit a South Asian family, you'll probably see a cricket bat lying about somewhere. Um, you know, they, they, they have a passion, um, so such a passion for the game. So the fact that, that those opportunities haven't been there, um, if you look at the amount of minorities, backgrounds that have played for Scotland national team, and you look at the, 
the representation at club and grassroots level, it just doesn't add up. So it's a massive concern. But this is a time to try and change it. You know, whatever said and done that's happened in Yorkshire, I'm looking on and I've been following it. And they seem to be moving in the right direction. That, you know, if if you take the right actions and you do the right things, things can change. Just because it has been like this and, it's, and the institution has been found to be racist for, for many, many years doesn't mean that the future needs to be like that. But you're absolutely correct. At this moment in time, I'm sure there's a few parents watching on and thinking, do I really want my child to be in cricket? And that's really sad. Kazim, I was interested in what you said before in that you said it, it's over for you, you won't play for Scotland again. But is it really over for you in a sense that could you now give something to Scottish cricket in which you change the way it's run, in which you have a big input, in which I, I don't know what you do now, would you become a coach or a director of cricket or something like that? Is that a possibility? Is that on the table? I, I, I've been a player coach now for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've helped numerous clubs get promoted in the Scottish game from club level um, up to premier divisions. And I, I, I've, I've done really well on the circuit, but I've been completely ignored by any regional setups mm-hmm. or national team setups. They've never wished and I've offered my hand as well on numerous occasions. Um, trying to, I just, I just love my cricket. It's just, it was part, it's part of me. It's who I am. Uh, but I was, I was ignored. I launched a podcast um, a couple, a couple of years ago, and I worked really hard on that. And that's the first time, slowly, some of the Scottish players started engaging with me again. Um, and I spoke to some of them on my podcast as well as some other cricketers from around the world and, and other sports as well. So I'm very much still involved. I was asked today, do I want to go onto the board? No, I don't want to go onto the board. I, I want to, to, to be part of helping change it. And my hand is there if people want to put their hand out and, and wish to be proactive and wish to take actions. But I just don't think sitting on the board for me is, is, is the right place. Um, I, 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 I think it's better to stay on the outside and, and try and help move things forward in, in regards to coaching or opportunities. Look, you can never say never. Let's see what the future holds sometime down the line but for now you know this is not certainly not my reason for for speaking out that you know I'm looking for anything I want to see equal opportunities um across the board for for everyone um and that's what I'm I'm focused on and, and working towards and I'm happy to help where I can just on like Kasim um obviously this is a historic landmark for Scottish cricket in a negative sense but it can have or it now needs to have impact just listen to speak to you speak to how how confident are you that there will actually be concrete change coming? I can't say that with 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 confidence. All I can say at the moment is, um, as you've probably seen from the report, the recommendations are very, very strong. Um, and they're, they, they seem to be, they're going to hold um, Cricket Scotland to account on all of it. Hence why the board have said that they have gone because they don't have enough time to fix it. So they need to get need to get their finger out and they need to get their house in order and they need to work towards what Plan for Sport have said. It doesn't sound like Plan for Sport are going to budge or Sport Scotland on the deadlines. So it's it's it's, it's time for action. If, if the recommendations were just, we, we think this needs to happen and here's a, a list of things and off you go and work on it, I wouldn't have much confidence. I couldn't say that to you. But the fact that the accountability is there, I live in, in hope that the right people come into this organisation and they drive this forward. And there is a lot of good people involved, a lot of volunteers. And, you know, the, the, the campaign that was launched, Run Out Racism, there's a lot of volunteers that are well, happy and willing to help this cause. Uh, I think 
there's an opportunity here for all the communities and all, people from all backgrounds to come together to drive the sport forward. And, and that, unfortunately, has been lacking for quite some time. You've been through a lot and you've seen a lot. If things move forward as you hope, what what, what is your vision? What is your hope? What do you hope to see? What do you hope Scottish cricket will look like in, I don't know, 18 months' time, two years' time? Uh, look, I said, I said this um, on Sky on Saturday when I mentioned saying, this is not about quota systems or anything like that. That's not that's not the answer. That's certainly not where I'm I'm coming from. I think there needs to be an understanding of the the diversity in this in the game of cricket in Scotland. It is such a diverse. It has so many so many different types of people playing cricket in Scotland. Yet at decision making level, at coach level, at leadership, any sort of leadership, it's predominantly white now. That makes it very difficult to make good decisions based on the, the, the whole communities that you're working with. So mm-hmm. I think the first attention needs to be given to getting representation from all different backgrounds and have more diversity with throughout the institution. And I think that could really push the change a lot quicker. Um, I don't suggest tokenistic gestures. I mean people being brought in and their opinions being heard and, and being allowed to have a positive influence on driving things forward. And that's that's what I would like to see. And I think that could lead to people feeling more included um, and, and wanting to be more part of it and also being able to have the equal opportunity of being successful in it as well. And I think that can only have a positive outcome for everybody in Scottish cricket. Right, that was Kasim Sheikh talking uh, on the press box on Talk Sport. Um, Harmy, it is a massively sad day. We've said, uh, unfortunately, throughout um, the revelations of racism in the game that they need to be exposed and that uh, the subject needs to be talked about. And it's funny how many cricket people will be perfectly prepared to talk about other controversies in the sport. You know, you bring up match fixing and nobody squirms away from from that. I mean, it's a reality that we have to deal with. And um, and and so is racism, um, and we can't squirm away from it. We can't turn a blind eye and a, and pretend it isn't there because clearly it is. It is, and it's it's sad to see. And you, you're right. It, it, it's very very difficult to sit here to understand. I think is the first thing because I've not been through it. I think reading and listening and seeing what with my own eyes on what what happened with Cricket Scotland yesterday and what was brought out. I think this Cricket Scotland stuff's gone beyond that. This was harrowing stuff that we were hearing. You know, the numbers that complaints that were upheld were mind-boggling, to be honest. Somebody's got away with it for so long. And I think that is that is the reality of, of what's happened at Cricket Scotland. The whole board resigned, they had to, no question whatsoever. Um, and you feel sorry for, for the good people of Cricket Scotland who... <coughs> weren't a part of this because they're going to be, no matter what now, they're, they're tarnished for the rest of their lives. But when you've seen the two lads sitting there yesterday in the press conference with their lawyer and you're going, really? Somebody's got away with this for so long? And it's took one whistleblower to sort of start the ball rolling for it to get to this. That was a sad day for cricket, humiliating day for Cricket Scotland, but also a good day for the guys who have gone through this because what they've been saying and what they've gone through, yes, it's it's horrible, it's horrific, but a good day yesterday because the people that have trapped them that way have been exposed, and they can now somehow feel as though there's, there's 
possibly light at the end of the tunnel that you can't go backwards, but you can, you know, hopefully take sort of some sort of solace that, you know, these blo- these people will never be in cricket anymore, never be part of cricket again. And the next generation will be treated a lot better. And as we move forward towards cricket being, you know, a better game for, for everybody involved, you can take comfort that you were the person that, expose these people and not be in the game anymore and the light at the end of the tunnel if there is any is that hopefully it doesn't happen anymore and that can be a good thing for like I talked about before the, the little Northumberland under 14s at this minute in time it'll be like little little cricket Scotland under 12s and the 13s and the 14s that these guys have have done it to make cricket Scotland better. Yeah, well, Cricket Scotland failed 29 of 31 indicators of institutional racism with 448 examples of racial discrimination found and Scottish ministers, understandably, are demanding swift and decisive action. Very sad, but uh, as a story that um, we have to cover and want to cover, because as you said, Harmi, hopefully um, we will one day get to to a, a place where this stuff doesn't exist. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll look at what South Africa's new T20 franchise means for the future of the sport. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan.
You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's talk about uh, the latest of uh, what seems like dozens of, of T20 leagues now. It still hasn't been officially launched in South Africa, but um, uh, we now know that uh, all six franchises in South Africa's new domestic T20 league will be owned by IPL teams. The Mumbai Indians team will be based in at Newlands in Cape Town, the Chennai Super Kings at the Wanderers in Joburg, uh, the Delhi Capitals at Centurion, the owners of the Lucknow Supergiants will be at Kingsmead in Durban. Um, the Sunrisers Hyderabad will be in Port Elizabeth. And finally, the Rajasthan Royals will take residence at Borland Park in the lovely winelands of uh, Pal outside of, of Cape Town. So um, it's a takeover. Um, uh, don't know how best to, to describe it. Um, South African cricket was within a season of insolvency, of bankruptcy. So this is very good news indeed uh, for South African cricket. Uh, the franchises will pay an annual licence fee of uh, somewhere in the region of uh, between three and three and a half million dollars. The Rajasthan Royals have got a bargain, actually. I think their, their, their franchise was on sale. I think they're only paying $1.5 million <laughs> a year. But it's a lot of money. It's more money than South African cricket has made in any single year ever before. So I, the way I think it could best be described, Harmi, is that uh, the IPL is South African cricket's benevolent dictator. They um, will allow Cricket South Africa to run their domestic game and to, and to go about their business, but they must remember their place now. In the in the real world, um, in the uh, economic world, it's like it's a bit like China. I think you know that China will go into a third world country and build highways and bridges and airports. And if the third world country can't pay the money back, then China will take them over. I think that's a bit how this feels with the IPL in cricket South Africa. Yeah, it's it's is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? The money that comes in is well, it's gonna. What is it going to achieve? When it comes to infrastructure, you mentioned like China and the roads and the highways. But if it if it filters down into cricket South Africa and creates a better facility, a better environment to produce good young South African players to come through, then is it a bad thing? Probably not. Graham Smith takes over. He's the um, commissioner. Mm. He's a commissioner. He's a top man. And I think when you look at it, I've got loads of time for Graham Smith. I think he's a I think he's an unbelievable character. A great man, played all my cricket against him, um, had some unbelievable ding-dongs with him in the middle, but off the field, yeah, there was a lot of respect there. Um, I've got a huge amount of admiration for the way he went about, not only his career, but I think when he took cricket South Africa on, they were in, they were in a little bit of trouble, Manners, is that right to say? And then between himself and Mark Boucher, they got cricket South Africa moving forward for that short period of time before... It was inevitable. It always happens in, in South Africa and uh, there's a falling out and somebody goes and, and Graham Smith went. So I could see Graham Smith being a huge player and not only this getting it off the ground, but actually as the commissioner going forward for, for years to come, a little bit like Sarab Ganguly's done in India. 
Yeah. Um, the way that uh, the game is heading, I think, um, it, Hami, what will happen now with the UAE T20 League and the South Africa T20 League? It means that IPL teams will be playing against each other in four countries or territories for five months of the year because um, their involvement in, in the Caribbean Premier League, obviously in the IPL, um, and now two other leagues. It means that, do you remember Diavolt Brevis, the South African under-19 that yeah. uh, was signed by uh, the Mumbai Indians? Well, he's on tour in England at the moment with um, the Reliance cricket team, which is basically a Mumbai Indians second team. And it means that the Mumbai Indians own Devolt Brevis. He plays for the Mumbai Indians. He will occasionally be loaned out to um, to the Titans um, to to play for them in South Africa. But it means that the the T20 League in South Africa and the IPL presence within those teams in South Africa means that they will basically help themselves to the best of South African talent. And they can then move those players. This has always been the objective of IPL teams. They want as big a shot window as possible. So they've got teams around the world and they become um, shop windows for yes. their brands. Um, and it, yeah, so it, it does mean that, uh, as I say, South African cricket will at best coexist, but really it will be existing at the behest of of those IPL teams um but you know cricket so this is what cricket south africa brought upon themselves by by running the game administering it so poorly um and leading it into um financially very very shallow waters yeah. so you know the you, you really um should be welcoming the the IPL teams the south african cricket lovers should be welcoming uh, the IPL teams, uh, I suppose, with with open arms, like a like an army coming in to um, remove the the uh, the financial burden from from the game. Could this be the first time we'll see top Indian players, good Indian players, play outside India for the first yes. time in these franchise tournaments? You know, I'm thinking if there are IPL franchises that are, and as I've got a couple of more questions going towards you, but. Do you think it will be the first ones that breaks the bank that India players, top players? I don't think we'll see Virat Kohli play outside India, but we'll see, you know, possibly could we possibly see somebody like Shubman Gill, Suri Kumayadav, Suresh Ayer, these top Indian players come out and play in different countries now? I think I think that will happen, Harmi, because obviously there are 10 teams in the IPL now and there are six a majority, a small majority in South Africa. And that has been the, the, the word, yes, that has been the talk. And obviously, if um, those IPL teams can bring some of their own players, as you said, some of the just below the top notch, you're not going to get Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli and the Jasprit Bumrah playing in South Africa. But those six IPL teams would be very, very keen if they can bring out some of their own players from their IPL teams in India then, uh, you know, financially, the value improves, increases um, exponentially. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions more more dollars. And, you know, I don't think that push will come to shove um, amongst uh, the IPL teams, but they, they, they are a majority. And it's in all of their best interests to have Indian players playing in South Africa. And, and so I reckon that that will happen. Absolutely, it will happen. And what about over here, the impact over in England? Is it as simple as that the ECB potentially were going to sell the 100 in a couple of years' time? 
And I, I still think that was the initial plan, that you get this 100 off the ground, they get it going, and within three to five years, they sort of try and sell it to you know, franchise owners. Do they look at this now and go, do we really want India to get Indian cricket to get bigger? Because if they start selling the, the, the 100 off, and franchise owners come into England, i.e. the big ones, the IPL lot, does that then say, right, that's it. Uh, India are 99% taking over the world cricket anyway, but does that finish it off and say, right, if the Mumbai Indians come over and take over the Southern Braves or... We've seen, look, we I think we're teetering very close with the Yorkshire stuff, that if Yorkshire went out of business and the, the, and the ground and the, the financial went back to Colin Graves, what a lot of people were, were trying to warn against, if all of a sudden Colin Graves owns that, that cricket club because of, and he now then franchises it out, you know, lets Yorkshire play there, he's got Northern Superchargers, and one of the big guns come in and takes it off his hands, then there's a, a foot in the door and the, the ball starts rolling. Is this the worrying sign for English cricket, ECB, that you know, they have to keep the 100 going or they have to keep ownership of the 100 because if they don't, if they put it up for tender and f- franchise owners come in and see... How, where we can get potentially get seven, eight, nine of these franchises from the IPL clubs, then they have got world domination in in, in cricket. I think it's inevitable, Hami. I don't think that uh, the the hundred um, is going to realise its potential if it remains in in ECB hands. Yeah. Um, you know, just look at the the only domestic T Twenty league that is owned by the host union, the host body is the Big Bash. And look how much trouble that's in. I know that they got greedy and they made it a double round of fixtures and they, you know, they moved it from a month to two months. And that means that many overseas players would prefer not to go down under um, and spend the Christmas period, the holiday period, um, often without their families um, for two months. So they've done a lot of, made a lot of um, poor decisions to, um, at the Big Bash. But um, I think independent investment is absolutely inevitable. It was interesting to see Ricky Ponting and Usman Khwaja just amongst a, a number of, of players raising concerns about the number of T20 leagues around the world. But um, it just reminds me of, um, who was the founder of McDonald's? Ray Kroc, I think it was. Roy Kroc, who founded Kroc. McDonald's in 1955 and was told it'll never last, you know, it'll never last. And there are, <laughs> there are 36,000 branches now in a, in a hundred countries and territories <laughs> around the world. So you know, people are saying to me, oh, there's, there's too many of these T20 leagues, you know. <laughs> but, do, on, a, on a serious note though, Manners, do you think because of the amount of T20 leagues, this could be a push for boards to go, you know, talking about the, the future to- tours programme, which got leaked last week, which is coming out. We've talked about, we've talked already about this show and this show about prioritising 50 over cricket just around the, the tournaments, the world tournaments. Could we get to a point in five, ten years' time when, when I'm a little bit grey and a little bit older and a little bit fatter that we don't play any more bilateral series? We only play. Ravi Shastri talked this week about only having six test match teams, which I thought was ludicrous, but He's coming from an Indian perspective. Do we say, right, we've got test cricket, which we play bilaterally, because that's probably the best way we can compare for the World te- for the world Test Championship. And that's it. The rest of you, you're 50, you play a 50-over World Cup with no other cricket. You play a 20-over World Cup with no other cricket. And how you get your 
cricket from there. Your board gets your cricket from there. As players go and play in these tournaments around the world, it frees them up. It releases funds that boards don't have to play in big central contracts. They still have ownership of their players for the big tournaments. And the, the nation's players in the shortest format only come back together for, for tournaments. It sounds madness. There'll be people throwing things at this at the at this suggestion at the radio at me. What are you talking about, Harmison? You don't know what you're on about. You know, true proper people who don't like the hundred. But unfortunately, in five to ten, ten years' time, the way these leagues are ticking over the world, there's going to be no time, or more importantly, no players to play fifty over or twenty over cricket for their national teams, and they might just have to go with it. Boards go with it and have ownership of their players from an international point of view, but their players go off and play for what will probably be a franchise that owns a franchise in New Zealand, a franchise in Australia, a franchise in England, a franchise in South Africa, and then they come together for the, the big tournaments. I think this could be a watch this space. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, compared it to the situation in football where people where, where footballers play for their clubs first and foremost, and they're released um, yeah. to play in small windows for their countries. Um, so, you know, the, um, the, the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga and Syria, um, the difference, the, the big difference for me is that uh, they are playing 90 minutes of football. They're not playing five a side. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, as far as test cricket is concerned, Harmi, it's interesting. Um, India in the next ICC cycle, the Future Tours programme that you mentioned, are playing 38 test matches, 20 of which are against... England and Australia, 20 yeah. out of 38, over half the test matches. So the big three are keeping that schedule together um, and expanding it. Um, they play the, the only test series scheduled in that Future Tours programme to contain three or more test matches involve one of the uh, big three. So none of the small seven are going to play more than two match series. Um, and uh, in fact, the big three are now going to be playing five test matches against each other. Obviously, Ashes has always been five test matches but the but the world test championship harmy is do you know historically i'm not going to give you a history lesson here but it's the third attempt uh, to have multi-team test match tournaments the first was in 2000 and sorry 1912 when um it's interesting to think that back in 1909 the uh, administrators of test cricket were worried about the pace of the game and uh, test match cricket losing its appeal uh, and there were only three test-playing nations then, Australia, England and South Africa. So they decided they would have a triangular. And in 1912, this, this tournament took place and it was an absolute disaster. England won four out of six test matches, they, but it was the heaviest rainfall they'd ever had. And uh, nobody was interested in watching the South Africa-Australia test matches. Anyway, so multi-team test match tournaments weren't reconvened until the Asia Cup in 1998 and 2001. They staged that. And that also was a disaster. Um, it just didn't work. It felt manufactured and the schedule was too congested. But now we've got something which is far from perfect. It is yeah. far from perfect. Not everybody plays everybody else, but it's the only thing. This, this has to work for Test cricket. Um, I, you know, I've often said over the last 30 years, oh, worries about Test cricket. It, it won't go away. It'll be, there'll be ups and downs, but it won't go away. This time, I'm really concerned because if the big three don't push the test, the World Test Championship and don't um, fulfil their obligations um, and go and tour uh, other countries and at least get this done, then Test cricket will be gone. 
in yeah. 10 years, um, you know, apart from the big three. Um, and and how much fun is it going to be just watching Ashes and, and England and Australia playing India? Um, but, you know, you can't have a sport that basically involves three teams. No, it, you can't. And at the minute, you don't really want to be watching the Ashes too many times after the way we played in Australia or where we, we go in Australia. I think it's so important that the big the big guns play you know, the smaller countries. That keeps Test cricket alive. That keeps cricket going. Ravi Shastri the other day, I didn't agree with what he said. Six top teams, they're just six top teams playing Test cricket. That's not what the game's about. The game is to try and reach the furthest parts of this world, chance to grow the game of cricket. And we are we are so important, the big three, to in doing that. And if you take that away, then cricket's going to be played by six countries. And that's not... You know, that's not what cricket's about. You know, I, I see I see one of my best mates on social media driving cricket over in, in America. You know, if the Americans can get cricket, they're the only ones financially that could possibly challenge the Indians if they ever got cricket, but they'll never get cricket. But he's pushing, Liam Plunkett, he's pushing cricket in America. They're trying to sort of give cricket to the world if we devalue it like we are doing. I don't think that that's right. The numbers that you're on about, 20-odd out of 30, 38 games. That's not fair. Not fair. We've got to be going. Yeah, the big guns have got to be going into Bangladesh. They've got to be going into Zimbabwe, not hosting them, going into these countries to try and you know, financially keep them countries going. Because when I seen what Ravi said, if you went off the top six teams in, in the World Test Championship from last year, England wouldn't be in it. Bangladesh beat Australia in, I think it was it was somebody else in the top six. New Zealand World Test Championship, they're seventh. So no, I don't I don't agree with what Ravi's saying. I think we need to get it out there more in test match cricket. The only worrying thing is that if we do do that, one probably discipline has to go. And by the looks of it, Ben Stokes has started something. I think the likes of Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli might follow and other big names come the end of the World Cup. I think 50 Elvis is now dying on its backside. Well, we'll see. I think uh 10 years, um, we could uh, see the decline uh, of, of Test cricket unless there is uh, a concerted effort from the big three um, to support um, cricket around the world, as you said. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Now, it's uh, been a couple of weeks since uh, the Test series uh, concluded against New Zealand and, of course, the one-off Test match against India with uh, England winning all four of them and uh, Ollie Pope playing a big part in that. So in uh, part four now, a special and exclusive chat with Ollie Pope, who spent some time with our colleague Sam Ellard a couple of days ago. First question I need to ask you is about kebabs. After a test win earlier this summer, you and the England boys were out in a kebab shop. And Ollie, I've never seen someone look at a kebab the way you looked at your kebab. You look so peaceful and so happy. So I need to know... What was your kebab order? I mean, I tell you what, I've, I've copped a lot of stick for that kebab order, but that <laughs> kebab was literally shared between about six people. And it was actually my first ever proper kebab as well. So I was just buzzing at the start sight of it. I couldn't believe how big the thing was. But honestly, you know, I think about six of us just tucked into it in the corner. How so have you never had a kebab mine. before? Oh, I don't know. It's just never struck my mind, to be honest. I just, yeah, it's not my go-to order, but... I, think after that i'll be having a few more <laughs> Good man. But I, I i find that incredible like after a night out you've never ended up in a kebab shop before 
No, I, honestly, not not. Once. Are you too posh for kebabs? No, I'm not too posh for kebabs. No, <laughs> but obviously, when where were we? We're in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah, it's just north of the river, so it's uh, <laughs> south of the river. They don't always they don't always have that on offer. Go back to the the beginning of the summer when you got the phone call, Ollie Pope. How are you? Come back at number three. Um, were you a little bit a bit surprised, or talk, just talk me through that 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 original phone call? I wouldn't say I was surprised. I wasn't really sure if I was going to be in the squad or if I was going to be starting in the. Or I didn't know where I stood at the time. Obviously, we had Brendan coming in and Stokesy taking over as skipper. So I actually messaged Stokesy. I think probably ten days before selection. Uh, just and we had a counter championship game coming up, and I was I just questioned him. I said. I knew the the spot was going to be at three. That was available. Obviously, Rooty batting four, Johnny five, Stokes six. So I was, I was thinking, and I felt like I was finally batting like the number three with bat. So I just thought, I dropped a message saying, do you reckon I should sort of push up to number three or ask Sarri if they'd be happy to? And then, to be honest, and he was sort of just like, score your runs at four because I think there's, there's one ball difference between four and three. So, but I was keen just to sort of try and get it on the radar and show him that I'm sort of ready for, ready for that opportunity. So that's... That was my thought process behind it. And then when he said, sort of just stick at four, just keep scoring your rounds, I was like, oh, God, that's probably, it's probably not ideal. Probably means I'm just sort of still waiting in the, in the wings. But so when I did get the call um, from Brendan, I was actually on the, the coastline in uh, Cornwall, just having a few days away with the family. Um, and uh, I couldn't really hear what he was saying on the phone. <laughs> so I wasn't sure. And, I, and then I said, thank you. And I, then I wasn't sure. He might, he might well have told me I'm not in the squad. So... <laughs> But luckily, you said I'm in the squad and I was going to bat three. So, no, it was a, it was a great phone call to get. So, you, 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 you had no idea what he was saying and basically you had to try and guess what he was saying. Pretty much. I just heard something about the squad and then I was like, oh, right, I'm going to... And initially, because when you get a phone call, you're just like, oh, okay, sweet, so I'm in the squad. Then I was suddenly clocked that it might have been you're not in the squad. So, <laughs> yeah. so luckily, luckily, I was. You're so polite, Ollie. You, you, didn't have, you didn't want to ask Brendan McCullum to repeat himself. Yeah, exactly. It was the first time I'd ever spoken to him, so I just said yes, yes, Brendan, yes, sir. Cool guy, isn't he? By the way, like when I when I watch him on TV, I just think I want to go for a pint with him. Like he looks so cool. Yeah, he's top top bloke, and uh, the, the boys are loving him so far as well. He's he's very chilled out, and I, I guess it's potentially a bit of a Kiwi culture that the sort of the way he is. They seem pretty laid back and relaxed, but I think yeah, it's it's been a sort of real good breath of, breath of fresh air for us. Yeah, when like, I've listened to the, you know, the players speak this summer, they've sort of said he's just super chilled out. He's come in, sort of everyone start again. Positive mindset, go out, express yourself, be aggressive. Like, that sounds quite simple, doesn't it, for a head coach to do? Like, just give us an insight into sort of inside the dressing room. Has that sort of been the approach? He's kind of doesn't focus maybe too much on technique and all that. Just tries to keep things pretty simple and create a, a positive mindset in the dressing room? Yeah, exactly. And I think he's made a big sort of thing on... <laughs> Basically, listening, not listening to the outside voices as well. I think we probably fell into that trap a little bit, or we weren't necessarily guided and a lot on it for a little bit. Um, but it's basically like what goes on in the four walls for us is all that matters. So the outside noise is fine; everyone can have their opinions because that's going to happen in, in England as well. So, and it's just creating this real positive environment. That, yeah, it's not about your technique; it's about your decision making and having a clear mindset on how you want to, for a batter, how you want to go score your runs. And if, if you think the best way to do that is like Rooty does, reverse scooping over the slips, then then you're not going to get, um, you're not going to basically get told off for, for taking that shot on and getting out doing it. As long as you practice it and you're clear on your mindset, he's going to back you 100%. Um, South Africa coming up 
can you please try and reverse sweep Kigisa Rabada early on in your innings? Uh, early on, we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. It's a so, shot that I do like playing, so we'll, we'll see. If the time's right, then it might, it might happen. But it's also sort of part of this new sort of mindset that there's got to be the realisation that playing this super aggressive cricket that sometimes it's, it's not going to work. Is that, is that just, is that a given, given sort of at times how aggressive it can be? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've, that's going to be our biggest challenge next is that there's going to be times where it doesn't go to plan. But at the same time, we've got to keep in that mindset that when it does, we're going to win games doing it like, we, like we've done so far this summer. And every now and again, yeah, it might not come off exactly how we want to. And it's almost just making sure we keep that mindset and even almost get the mindset of almost going more positively at them if, if that does happen. Um, because I'm sure it will at some point, but yeah, it's staying level about it. And that's when it's time to not listen to the outside voices because there'll probably be people with their opinions on uh, on how you shouldn't be playing like you are. But no, for, for now, we've obviously got a pretty clear way how we want to play and we're going to stick with it through, through sort of the good and the bad for the, next sort of, well, for the rest of the summer, I'm sure. Ben Stokes has stepped aside from from one day international cricket. There's been a lot of talk over the past sort of you know a few days in particular about kind of the schedule, the amount of cricket played as an international player and someone that's played a lot of domestic cricket over the last few years. Where do you sit on that? Is there just are we, are we at a point now where there's just too much cricket? Common sense needs to prevail, and we've got to just say let's just slow things down a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I do. It's just a tough one because I guess essentially contracted guys do sort of cans not not pick and choose but they can manage their schedules so they peak at the right times but I mean I've got to be careful what I say or else I'll be getting a phone call I'm sure but uh, it's not really exactly it's not really my place to say but there, there is a lot of cricket as well but I guess the, the individual players have got to find ways of managing that for now while the schedule is like this and that's exactly what the ECB have allowed us to do at the minute and like for example I took I had last week off when the boys went and played in Yorkshire uh, just because I felt like I needed a just a week just to mentally reset um, because we've got a big sort of rest of the season coming up. So um, there, there are opportunities. And obviously we've seen Stokesy retire from that format, like you said, and he because and he's the kind of guy who he doesn't want to play, like you said, at 80%. And, and he and he wouldn't play at 80%, but the, the, the pace that he plays at and the, the mindset he has, I think it's obviously pretty clear that he's made his decision on that and he's going to be 100% ready for all test cricket and, and all T20s as well. That was Ollie Pope chatting to our very own Sam Ellard, and many of our listeners will know who Sam Ellard is, but I have to say, Harmy, that was a very, very Sam Ellard interview, wasn't it? And I mean, only he could be talking about uh, the, uh, <laughs> the kebab shop at 2am with, with Ollie Pope. Yeah, it was, it was fitting that we sent Sam Ellard to talk about kebabs, wasn't it? So he had, he's had a haircut this week. You want to see it, man. It's... it's uh, talking about... I think, the, I think the kebab owner's done it with his... Uh, with, with his knife and with his knife and claw, and I think he's done it, done the sides of it. Like he might be going back to get it finished, um, well, young Samuel. But no, what a, uh, I think it's been a, it was a fascinating interview talking about everybody wanted Ollie Pope back in their team, desperate to get in the team. Where did he fit in? Nobody wants to bat three. Joe's going to have to keep batting three, and even though he probably, like you said, he didn't hear what McCullum had said to him because the reception wasn't great. When he told me he was back, back, back three and back in the England side, I think he just took being back, playing for England, and he was going to make it work. And boy, he did. I think he's had a, a de- he had a decent summer. I think England are a better team with Ollie Pope in it. That's why I was desperate, desperate for Josh, uh, Johnny Best to replace Josh Butler with the gloves because that was the only way I seen 
Oli Pope getting in in that middle order at number five. Um, but he's made it work and good for the boy because his average is not where it is at this minute in time. And there's a few of them, a few young batters like that, Zach Crawley as well. But the ceiling level of how good these young players are, I think is worth persevering with and it's worth, you know, worth just going through in different times, hoping that your backing will will come to fruition. And I think that's what hopefully has happened to Ollie Pope this summer. And hopefully because of the backing, that will do the world of good for Zach Crowley as well. So two players with quite an enormous ceiling when it comes to their potential and their talent, but they've got to start delivering. And Ollie Pope's gone a long way to do that this summer. OK, um, so much else to talk about. We could do a whole show on all these bullet points I've got um, with news. Uh, we have to mention Sam Northeast. A 410 not out, only the eighth score of over 400 in first-class history. Glamorgan's 795 for five, and resulting in a win against Leicestershire. who made almost 600 in their one and only innings. You've mentioned also the Ollie Stone deal with Nottinghamshire. That was an eyebrow raiser, as you said, uh, with his injury um, issues. Jonathan Trotty, head coach of Afghanistan. That was another eyebrow raiser and um, an eyebrow lowerer. If there is such a thing as Mark Wood, another injury. Um, we mentioned his five-wicket haul for Ashington uh, on the comeback trail, and um, it all flared up again, and I think he needs more surgery. But uh, take your pick from those news stories, Harmy. Yeah, I've seen, Woody, I've seen Woody over the weekend. He can't straighten his arm, which is not sometimes a bad thing for a fast bowler, <laughs> but he's in pain, so he's, he can't straighten his arm and he's in pain. I did make the joke that if you can if you can keep it like that without without pain, you might bowl a little bit faster, which is scary, scary really. But no, he's going to have to have the operation. I think they tried to to look after it, clean it out the last time. This time, I think it's it's surgery that he needs. He's devastated. He went on a good run. He had a couple of years where things were all rosy in the Mark Wood Garden. He was playing well. He was playing for England. He was bowling fast, going well. Good Ashes trip. If anybody came out of the ashes with any sort of shining light, it was Mark. And you're thinking, right, come back, bowl pain-free, get through the back end of the 100 and then hit the World T20 by, by storm. But unfortunately, he's he's going to miss that, which is a shame. The eyebrows was Ollie Stone. Maybe his change of scenery does change the sort of mentality from a, a body and, and hopefully he, he can get himself back on a park because... There's no doubt this kid is, a, is, a, is an excellent bowler, but I look at his career numbers and I look at the age he's at. He's not got long left now at speed that England you know, possess or he possesses to give England an option as a quick bowler. And once you start getting to 30 and 30 and beyond, then that your body slows down a little bit. So he's going to have to get a move on if he wants to get himself back into England contention. And what an innings. What an innings by by Sam Northeast. Yes, it's a flat one. You know, you could talk about flat wickets because Leicester got 600 and odd. And, but fair play to Sam. He could have easily said, no, I want to go on and break Brian Lara's record. And he would have done if he had batted for the rest of the day. But he's like, no, we want to win this cricket match. And you wouldn't have thought they were going to win it from, you know, Leicester getting over 600, Glamorgan get over 700. But it's amazing what tired bodies do in the field when you've been in the field for so long. You know, you stick Leicester back in and you roll them over. So a great day in Wales um, and a fantastic innings by by Sam Curran. And, and good luck, Trotty, taking over the job that, obviously, sadly, Graham Thorpe became ill um, and he, he couldn't fulfil the the uh, 
the job in Afghanistan and what what a job that's going to be. Yeah, how exciting are Afghanistan, the players that they've got? You know, we've got, we're talking about Ashton Critic Club. We've got Eunice, who is our overseas player at this minute in time, and he's only ever played 2020 cricket. Play him in the longer format of the game. If he bats for more than 50 balls, he gets he gets 75. He can't bat more than 40 balls. He's never done it before in his life. He's only ever played, you know, 2020 cricket, and he gets itchy feet once he goes past 40 balls. But he's a consistent performer. And like a lot of you know, the Afghanistan players, that they're exciting players. And to coach a team of Rashid Khan, and I'm sure Trotty's very, very excited and trying to make them better. Finally, how does Woody stay so positive? I mean, you know, you know the man um, as well oh, as anybody. Uh, you know, I, uh, by the way, I thought he was absolutely brilliant on, on commentary on Sky. He is. He's meant for. He's meant for that. He is. I, I told him the other day. He's meant for. He's meant for that. But you know, he still has aspirations of fulfilling the rest of his career from a bowling point of view. And I don't know how he stays positive. I've always made the joke that there's one or two people I know who who don't drink alcohol, who don't need alcohol to be the, the people that they are. And Woody is definitely one of them because I can't imagine how bonkers he would be if he, if he started drinking. I think on the outside, I think what you find is this positive, you know, lovely, fantastic human being. I still think there's a positive, fantastic human being on the inside. But I think when the doors are closed, I'm sure there's dark times in, in Mark Wood's head because there has to be. Keep coming back from that. I spent all my career with Simon Jones from the start all the way through to his finish. And there were times Simon was at, a, at such a low ebb that it had to affect him. And I'm sure it is affecting Mark behind the scenes, but he never puts that on. When he comes out, he's on show and he's the showman. Yeah, I just wish he could play that a little bit more because where Ollie Stone has the potential to be a match winner for England, Mark Wood's proven in big occasions he is a match winner for England. And that's who England are missing most, I think, more than anything else. Jofra Archie, yes, but I actually think they miss Mark Wood more than any of the other fast bowlers they've got because I think in over the course of his career, he's, he's been proven that he can win matches for England. And I don't know, I can't comprehend what goes through his head when the door's closed and he's in by himself. But on the outside, when he is around everybody else, um, he's a bundle of joy and he tries to keep everything positive. Right, mate. Well, make sure Charlie Harmison gets a good breakfast, will you? And hopefully he's slept through all the nonsense we've spoken about in the last hour. And good luck today. We can't wait to hear about the results next week. <laughs> Yeah, cheers, manners. Okay, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed now, available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Maybe a different time, actually, slightly different time in <laughs> a different place, but roughly uh, the same next week to look back at the T20 series between England and South Africa, amongst other things. For now, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. 
Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 